What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? I am your host, Armand Lee, welcoming you all to episode 84 of the Quarterly Report Podcast. 84 episodes in, 16 away from 100. I got to start thinking about what we're going to do to celebrate 100 episodes, but we've still got time. Today, though, while you spend time with me for about an hour or so, I'm welcoming in guest Kevin Broom from the Soul Wizards podcast and contributor to Bullets Forever to discuss none other than, that's right, the Washington Wizards and the amazing season thus far that they've put together. We're discussing all topics, including whether or not the team should blow it up. You're not going to want to miss that. Also, this weekend is supposedly a huge fight in the heavyweight division between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, but I don't know if you feel the same way, but it doesn't seem to be much buzz about the fight, at least stateside. I'm going to discuss that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. First quarter. The NBA season is officially a quarter in the books. About 20 or so games for every team has been played. And we are starting to get an idea of how this season will take shape. And I got to tell you, there are a lot of surprises that I've seen thus far in the league, but none more so than what has gone on. Whoa! Would you look at this? Long time no see, devil. Happy holidays. This must be um a hard time of the year for you, huh? You know, you'd be surprised how well I recruit during this time of the year. It's honestly one of my busiest times. Okay, well, you know what, enough of this. I've got a show to do. Who am I playing devil's advocate for this week? Okay, this week, I want you to play devil's advocate with DeMarcus Cousins being overrated. Wait, what? What? What's what's the problem? I mean, usually when we do this, you give me a trash take, and then I play devil's advocate defending it. So, you know. Yeah, so... So, saying DeMarcus Cousins is overrated isn't a trash take. In fact, it's the correct one. You know, you know what? Whatever. Very rarely are things as easy as some would make it seem. You know, like I believe in nuance and layered issues. And on this show, I like talking about those topics the most because everybody will tell you why something is such a slam dunk, if you will, or why this decision is so easy and why you'd be a fool not to do it immediately as soon as possible yada 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 i very rarely believe or subscribe to you know the the low hanging fruit or the the what is seen is as easy as many people would make it believe however when it comes to demarcus cousins i think i can kind of basically wrap this entire argument up with just a few facts the new orleans pelicans got better the moment demarcus cousins went down with injury last year played their best basketball down the stretch, including winning their first playoff series versus, you know, a very good Portland Trail Blazers team. I'm not going to say that that Blazers team was a, an, a, an elite team, was amazing, but they were good. And the Pelicans played their best basketball before the playoffs, and then when they got in the playoffs, they were lights out, especially in that first round. But it's not just the Pelicans. The Sacramento Kings, have you guys been paying attention? They are way better now. And yes, that trade was a year and a half ago. But 
if DeMarcus Cousins is this great player that the league and many of the quote-unquote experts have built him up to be, it shouldn't take this quick. It shouldn't be this quick to play this this well for that Kings team because they didn't get a superstar in return. The Pelicans, when they started playing better without him, that was just due to injury. So they, they didn't basically, they didn't like trade DeMarcus Cousins and acquire more talent. It was the same team. They just moved the pieces around. And I was like, oh, you know what? Miritich plays much better off of Anthony Davis than DeMarcus Cousins did because Miritich understands he's not an equal. DeMarcus Cousins isn't close to being as good as Anthony Davis, yet he was taking about the same amount of shots. <laughs> I mean, it's just basic. I don't really think that's very, you don't need much nuance to understand that. If you've got a player who's not very good at scoring baskets, taking a significant amount of your offensive possessions, you know, you're going to get a lot of bad or empty possessions. You're not going to score with the frequency of a winning team. And we've seen this multiple times with DeMarcus Cousins. New Orleans, and we're seeing it in Sacramento. And again, this goes back to something that I've talked about for many, many episodes in the past, right? Confusing talent with productivity. Oftentimes, the most talented players are the most productive players. And when you have something along those lines, you get the, the Steph Curry's, you get the Anthony Davis's, you get the LeBron's. When the guys who are just the most talented are also the most productive, you get all-time greats. However, the most talented guys don't always become the most productive guys. In fact, in fact, you could make a case that the talented guys will seduce you enough so that they become less than they become less productive than the average player because you won't give the average player the opportunities that you will give the guys who have this great athleticism and they look the part so you keep giving them opportunity after opportunity and instead of just evaluating them on the numbers and what they do you evaluate them on their potential we're going to get to that in the second quarter but i'll give you an example i live in dc you guys know that or the dc area Austin Rivers, and actually, you know what? I don't even think Austin Rivers physically is more athletic than Thomas Anaransky. I think a lot of things uh, play um, that hinder Sadaransky in terms of bias and where he was drafted, where he's from, what he looks like. But physically, Thomas Sadaransky is as talented. I'd say he's more talented than Austin Rivers. But you get the point, right? Austin Rivers has shown us for a long stretch of time who he is. Thomas Sandorinsky has shown us for as long as he's getting given an opportunity, which is nearly as long as the opportunity that Rivers has received. But he's shown you that, you know what, when this guy, Sandorinsky I'm speaking about now, when Sandorinsky gets minutes, he produces. When Sandorinsky is on the floor, oftentimes good things happen. Flip side, when Austin Rivers is on the floor, oftentimes bad things happen but because we have this bias we say you know what austin rivers is a son of a coach austin rivers looks the part austin rivers went to went to duke austin rivers is a lottery pick you give more opportunity to him instead of evaluating him 
for just what he produces, we evaluate him on talent or perceived talent, where we think his talent should be as a former lottery pick. And because he keeps getting chance after chance after chance, he actually hurts your team worse than someone who you just don't give minutes to. You see, because if you don't give minutes to Jan Mahimi or Jason Smith, they can't hurt your team because they aren't on the floor. You give minutes to Austin Rivers over and over again, and he keeps hurting your team over and over and over again. And to compound that problem, you give him minutes over someone who's better than him in Sadoransky. That's my kind of real-life kind of example of the DeMarcus Cousins situation because DeMarcus Cousins is so talented, you keep affording him opportunities to, to shoot yourself in the foot. No matter how many times he has a five turnover game and shoots eight for 20 as a center, you keep giving him 20 some odd offensive possessions to run. You keep playing them 30 some odd minutes to take up all your offensive possessions. And yes, because he's so talented, you will get the amazing, you know, nights, the amazing box scores where he's 32 points, you know, hits five threes gets 14 rebounds and two blocks, and he does all these other things and five assists, and you're like, wow, that is elite-level talent. But those nights don't happen regularly. That's why it's easy to win when he's gone because if he was giving you those nights consistently, not the counting stats, not the counting stats, not the points, not the rebounds, but the possessions, the frequency of the shots he makes, the good shots he makes, the turnovers that he does not commit, right? We love the assists, but we never look at how many turnovers he had to accompany those assists. All of these things matter when we talk about productivity. This isn't just rolling out the, the ball on the blacktop with your partners. This isn't your church league. This ain't the why. You feel me? This isn't the summer, you know, three-on-three -three leagues. This isn't the farms, bro. Like this, this is professional basketball. And knowing what you can and staying away from what you can't do is vital. Understanding who you are, your game, and how that best meshes with a game plan to win is incredibly important. Carmelo Anthony, if we went to a blacktop right now, Carmelo Anthony would win almost every single one-on-one -on -one tournament imaginable. Because he, ah, y'all know I'm not the biggest mellow guy, but you can't, you can't argue with his God-given talent. And I shouldn't say that. You can't argue with the talent that he was blessed with or the talent that he has fought in and worked hard at developing. You know, Carmelo Anthony isn't a talented player, but he's not a productive professional basketball player. And those are two totally different things. There are a lot of guys who can just go on the court and just go. And oftentimes, those guys stay in the league. Jamal Crawford. Everybody loves Jamal Crawford. I'll tell you, man, Jamal Crawford's one of the more overrated players of this generation. But he has etched a, a name for himself because he's talented in the whole, quote-unquote, get buckets uh, mentality, right? The Mamba mentality. All this stuff that kind of plays a, a part into how we um, assess and view good NBA players. Jamal Crawford could go on a 
in a one-on-one -on -one tournament and win almost every single one. Melo would be amazing on the blacktop. You just playing on the summer with your homeboys. He crushed everybody because you can't stop him. Unfortunately, that mentality doesn't mesh well with trying to win basketball games because there's more to winning basketball than how many points you score. Especially if you have no you have no care about how many shots it takes to score those points. DeMarcus Cousins, one of the most physically imposing players in this league, will score 26 points at, at a center position. 25 points, 24 points, easy. But no one cared to look at how many turnovers he had and how many missed shots he had. Because all those things play a part too. Right? If DeMarcus Cousins scores his 24 points on 20 shots and then adds on four more turnovers to that, right? Then you start doing the math. Okay, 24 points, but it took him 20 shots. And then there's also four other possessions where he had a turnover. So he had 24 points on 24 possessions. You do the math. You get two points per main field goal, three points per made three field or uh, three point shots and then those don't even count the free throw attempts you get do the math in your head and you're like yo those empty possessions and then you lose by five points you lose by eight points and you start doing the math like yo we gotta re we gotta reconfigure this that's why sacramento was able to bounce back so much if the marcus cousins is the player that you guys say he is then it should take more than a year and a half to improve Look at Cleveland. And I hear you guys, oh man, nobody's saying that DeMarcus Cousins is as good as LeBron James. Okay. Look at San Antonio. Look at look at Houston right now without Chris Paul. Y'all were telling me that DeMarcus Cousins was better than Chris Paul? Easy. Just go down the list. If we or if we were going to take away, let's say everybody feels that. You know, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Giannis, all these guys are in a class that no other player is. I was told year in, year out that DeMarcus Cousins was a top 10 basketball player. I tell you what, I was laughed at when I said that Nikola Jokic is easily better than DeMarcus Cousins. Y'all Bama's laugh me out, try to laugh me out, <laughs> out the gym. Nikola Jokic was traded for Buddy Hill or Pitt and whatever else uh, Sacramento got for DeMarcus Cousins. I promise you, Denver, who's playing much better than the Kings ever played with DeMarcus Cousins, mind you. I promise you that it would take Denver more than a year and a half to improve on where they're at now. People wanted to make DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis peers. I'm convinced. I'm convinced Anthony Davis is not going to play two full seasons with New Orleans. I don't know, but I think he has the, the, this year, next year as his, uh, to finish out his contract. Anthony Davis is gone. It's coming. And I promise you, it's going to take the Pelicans more than a year and a half to improve upon where they're at now. You see what I'm saying? Just because someone is talented does not mean that they can produce at a professional basketball level. And DeMarcus Cousins, man, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah, he can score a lot of points. Yeah, he can rebound his behind off. And that, I, before we even get there, 
Now he has an Achilles injury. We have no idea how he bounces back from that. I hope the Marcus Cousins plays as well as people think he does because I never want, I never, I don't enjoy, you know, guys being overrated. I don't enjoy like calling guys out like that. You know what I'm saying? But somebody's got to kind of like temper the, the, the wave because before his injury, he was, people would tell me he's better than Rudy Gobert. Hell no. People were telling me he, I was laughed at by saying Jokic was better than him. Hell no. DeMarcus Cousins, like a lot of guys in this league, very, very talented. In fact, everybody in the NBA is talented. Every single player, all of them. But relative to their peers, DeMarcus Cousins is a top player depending on where you put that bar at, but he's not a top 10. He was never a top 10. Honestly, I don't even think he was a top 20 player. Because for me, at least, we play basketball, not for your points per game, not for the dunks, not for the highlights. I want my player, my team, the team that I root for, the players who I think are the best, I feel that they are playing to win. Herm Edwards quote, right? You play to win the game. Now, those players, it's true. They're playing not just to win, but they're playing for a living. And that takes us to an entire different con uh, conversation that we don't have time for now. Because I understand why the Carmelos and the DeMarcus Cousins and the Jamal Crawfords and all these other guys, the Andrew Wiggins, I understand why they play the way they do. Because historically speaking, GMs don't pay you for the players who produce. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like we said earlier, when talent and productivity meet, you get all-time greats. So everybody's going to pay for the LeBrons, the Anthony Davises, the James Hardens, the Giannis's. We get that. But we're just now starting to possibly get in an in a era where teams will pay for the guys who don't necessarily put up the superstar numbers but do all the winning plays. And even then, they don't necessarily get paid to the level that the guys who just fill up the score, the box score do. Look at Zach Levine's contract. Look at Jabari. Jabari Parker basically told you guys, and everybody made fun of him. And honestly, I was like, he's there's no reason to make fun of him because he's absolutely honest. When Jabari Parker signed his contract with Chicago, he's like, nobody, they don't pay you to play defense. And he's absolutely right. Not only do GMs not pay you to play defense, we as a basketball culture, we don't care about the guys who do anything outside of score. That's the reason why DeMarcus Cousins was viewed as a top 10, 15 player. Despite the fact that everywhere he goes, teams immediately get better once he leaves. So the idea that DeMarcus Cousins is overrated at this point, how could you have any other, how could you come to any other conclusion? Well, look at that. We are seeing eye to eye now, Armand. You know, we make a great team. <laughs> nah, Slim. Your recruitment efforts aren't going to work on me. Get up out of here before I start my Hail Marys. Well, I had to shoot my shot, as the kids say. <laughs> See you next time. All kidding aside. You know, I'm not saying this to be a contrarian. I'm not saying this to be a provocateur. 
I genuinely feel this way, man. I think to Marcus Cousins, and I'm not knocking him. I'm not knocking him at all. Please don't take this as, you know, me saying there's something wrong with him. He's an amazing talent. But he's just not as good as his reputation has him, right? So many people had him as a top 10 player, and no, he's not. It's like the Sharif Abdul Rahim thing, right? You can put up a lot of points. You can put up a lot of counting stats on a team that can't win. And that's because you're giving someone who's not an amazing scorer the lion's share of your offensive possessions. So if you don't score at an efficient rate and you turn the ball over, you know, a ridiculous amount of times, well, then how do you how do you imagine winning games? If you're giving the majority of your offensive possessions to a player who doesn't score at a high clip and turns the ball over. You know, again, we often try to make things too simple. And I think more the most interesting things, to me at least, are the nuance, are the complex, are the things that take a few layers to really unpack. But sometimes stuff is really just that simple. Sometimes, Joe, things are really easy to kind of just to address. If you only have X amount of possession, and then DeMarcus Cousins isn't a great, he's not a good defensive player. You know, and I know defense is hard to to really address and to recognize, but you could look at DeMarcus Cousins and see, like, you know what? Rudy Gobert, he is not. Ben Wallace, he is not. Draymond Green, prime Draymond Green, he is not, right? So I think when you see what's going on in Sacramento and you're seeing what's going on in New Orleans, it's not... It's not a large reach. It's not a leap. It's more like a hop. In fact, it's probably a step to realize, you know what? A lot of what we viewed DeMarcus Cousins, it was misplaced. And that's okay. DeMarcus Cousins is still an insanely talented basketball player. And I hope he can regain his form post Achilles injury. I really do. And I hope he gets a huge contract. I just hope it's not in New York and I hope it's not in D.C. All right, guys, remember, get involved. If you think I'm crazy, am I crazy for thinking that DeMarcus Cousins is overrated? Please let me know. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com, quarterly spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, or tweet at me. Am I crazy for thinking DeMarcus Cousins is overrated, or am I right? Or are you somewhere in between? Whatever the case may be, tweet at me at quarterly show, again, quarterly spelled Q U A R T E R. L-E-E, let me know your thoughts on that matter or anything else that you want to hear me address. All right, guys, sticking with the idea of players not necessarily living up to their reputation, this is going to be the transition to our second topic this week. Second Usually when I hear people try to draw comparisons between players in the NBA and players in the NFL, you know, I just, I instantly turn whatever that is off. I just genuinely don't like that idea because the games are so different. Professional basketball and professional football are completely different. And very rarely can you draw any comparisons between players or the games itself because the games are just so foreign from one another. Yet here I am about to try to make a comparison between the two sports because as I watched football on Thanksgiving last Thursday, I realized that 
football and how certain teams view their quote-unquote franchise quarterbacks is a lot like the way in the NBA teams view their high-priced rookies approaching restricted free agency. Hear me out. The first game last Thursday was was the the Bears visiting the Detroit Lions. And we are a year removed from Detroit signing Matthew Stafford to that huge contract. And the moment they did it, I was like, okay, there's no one else going to call this out. This is clearly a dumb decision. And all the experts who were on television and in radio and writing columns, they made sure to tell me, no, if the Lions don't have Matthew Stafford, what do the Lions have? They kept on telling me how Matthew Stafford's not the problem with the Detroit Lions. He's what's right with the Lions. You have to pay him. They also would then say what everyone in the NFL tells me, that you can't win in today's game without a quarterback. And a year later, I'm looking at those same people saying, Yo, what, what now? Because those people are the same people 10 years ago who told me that the Bears were smart for trading all those picks for Jay Cutler. Chasing quarterbacks in the in the NFL, it's not a wise decision. It's not the smart move. And teams chase quarterbacks in the NFL, not just in free agency. Every year, teams will trade up to draft this quarterback. Every single year. And I question whether they think these quarterbacks are really good because their college numbers don't necessarily speak to that. Look at Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Multiple people came on television like, I don't think, I don't believe in Josh Allen. He's got an amazing arm, but a lot of guys have amazing arms. They question whether he could be a quarterback at a D1 level, let alone in the, in the pros. So you see teams shoot themselves in the foot. The Detroit Lions are chasing what the New England Patriots have. But what, New England, what the New England Patriots have, they don't have Matt Patricia. They've got the greatest coach of all time in Bill Belichick. And what the Detroit Lions thought they were making uh, when they drafted Matthew Stafford, number one, and they thought that they were getting their franchise quarterback, the guy who can be their Tom Brady, realized that Matthew Stafford makes more money than Tom Brady. And that is what makes the Patriots so special, so dangerous. It's not just that they play in an awful division where they never truly have to compete with any of their division rivals. It's that they have arguably the greatest player, not quarterback. I don't think it's a debate that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback ever, but they've got arguably the greatest player in the league taking team discount after team discount. So while Matthew Stafford makes more money than Tom Brady, Tom Brady consistently outperforms Matthew Stafford. Explain to me how the Detroit Lions can win in a system that way. And the thing with the NFL that is so frustrating is that recent history has shown you how to win. The Philadelphia Eagles won because their starting quarterback at the seasons at the beginning of the season was on a rookie contract. When the Seattle Seahawks went to back-to-back Super Bowls, Russell Wilson was on a rookie contract when they won. And then the second year is when he first started his, his large contract. 
And we've seen what happened to that team since. They had to restructure a lot of different things. Joe Flacco, when he won with the Ravens not too long ago, he was on his rookie deal. We've seen what happened to that team since he's got paid. And now look at look at the landscape of the league now. Jared Goff could easily be playing in February. Oh, that's right. Rookie contract. Deshaun Watson and the Texans, 8-3 as we speak right now. They could give the Patriots or whomever they play that with that defense and that explosive offense with DeAndre Hopkins. They can make some plays. That's right. Watson is on a rookie contract. Patrick Mahomes may be the MVP this season, but the Chiefs don't have to pay him that much money. These are the way these teams, with the exception of the Patriots and the Saints, the, the two teams with the exception, like the Patriots, Saints, and the Packers have the three best quarterbacks, clearly, in my opinion, head and shoulders better than everyone else. So if you want to pay Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, and Tom Brady a lot of money, that makes sense because consistently they have outperformed their peers. But everyone else who has a legit chance at winning, Look at what they're doing. So you've got a handful of years to figure out, can Patrick Mahomes, can Jared Goff, can Deshaun Watson, can Carson Wentz play like a Drew Brees, an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady? And if they can, yeah, pay them. But at no point has Matthew Stafford ever shown that he could play at that level. Yet he got a lot of money. And this is what you get. Then you have writers now all of a sudden saying you got to give them help. Matthew Stafford can't win on his own. Well, you know what? When you pay the, in, the, in a capped league, you win in the margins. That's how you win. Unless you get a great play, unless you get an all-timer, you win in the margins. You don't have to do that in the EPL. Teams with the most money can sign the best players. In baseball, if you've got enough money, go spend to your heart's desire. In the NBA and in the NFL, there is a limit to how much money you can spend. So you better spend wisely and you better find the value. The rookies, especially the rookies in today's game where passing is much easier than it's ever have it's ever been. You better find someone. So while the Chiefs are trading up to get Patrick Mahomes, the Buffalo Bills are trading up to get Josh Allen. While the Eagles traded up to get Carson Wentz, you know, you got a lot of teams trading up to get guys who you're starting to question, okay, well, what's going on here? It's a lot. It's early for a lot of these quarterbacks, so I don't want to. I don't want to hammer them too much, but you can tell which teams are doing it right and which teams are just are like a dog chasing his tail. Don't know which way to go. And I bring up quarterbacks to the NBA and restricted free agency because it's the same thing. It's the same idea. The Lions believed that Matthew Stafford could be their Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. Just like the Vikings believed that Kirk Cousins could be enough to lead them to a Super Bowl. As a Knicks fan, 
way, way, way back when I believed that Amon Shumpert could be special for us. I be- I wanted to believe in Shump, man. And still to this day, I love him. But clearly, he wasn't anything close to being deser- even looked upon in the light that we Knicks fans did. We Knicks fans are we a wild bunch. But it's not just us. I live outside of D.C. Wizards fans view Kelly Oubre in a light that I just I can never understand. They love Kelly Oubre, and I get it. You drafted him. You've seen him come. You you he's got personality. He's got charisma. Man, when he plays well, you feel every single great game he has. You think he's turning the corner. I have lived that. And it's not just Knicks fans. It's not just Wizards fans. Lakers fans know it. Because they're doing the same thing with Brandon Ingram. People, literally, people who get paid a lot of money got in front of everybody's television and said that he's the next Kevin Durant. Are you serious? And people keep on saying that Brandon Ingram is this key component in these huge trades. And I'm thinking to myself, why would anybody trade you anything worth a damn to get Brandon Ingram? Especially considering that he's approaching... Restricted free agency. Oh, no. Keep me away from that. But Lakers fans love them some Brandon Ingram. And every time he plays well, it's this is the game that's going to start the leap. You will talk yourself into believing that the player that you like is about to start, is about to click for him. You ignore all the signs along the road to, to suggest Hey, this ain't it for that one game, that one game where it starts to click. Kind of like what we talked about with the Marcus Cousins in the first quarter. You ignore all the signs that suggest, nah, you need to turn around, exit. You know, you're on the wrong expressway, exit, exit. You, you ignore all the signs until you get to a dead end. It's not just, I'm not picking on the Lakers. Ask, ask anybody who's a Timberwolves fan now. And compare how they viewed Andrew Wiggins two years ago to how they view him now. Because everybody kept saying Wiggins was going to click. It was going to click for him. It hasn't. It doesn't click for everybody. And, you know, there are exceptions. Victor Oladipo being the biggest one that I can think of. Where he just completely reversed course and now is playing at a superstar level. That happens. Just like if you've, if you've, got, if you've got 18 and the dealer is showing four. It's going to happen that sometimes that they're going to get 21 when you when you stay. That happens from time to time. But I wouldn't suggest hitting at 18 with the dealer showing forward too often as ever. I wouldn't suggest ignoring three years of a player playing below average thinking that, you know what, he could be the next Victor Oladipo. And I wouldn't suggest thinking that Matthew Stafford is going to end up becoming the next Tom Brady. And paying him a ridiculous amount of money. The moment they signed that contract, I knew what it was. I knew exactly what was going to happen. The moment the Minnesota Vikings signed Kirk Cousins, I knew what was going to happen. The moment the Baltimore Ravens signed Joe Flacco to that huge contract, I knew what was going to happen. It goes like this over and over and over again. In capped leagues, man, unless you've got a LeBron, 
unless you've got a Aaron Rodgers, unless you've got a Tom Brady, cap leagues are one in the margins. And the teams who best understand that and the teams who can best evaluate players and the contracts that they deserve and the contracts, not just that they can deserve, that the contracts that, that you can get them, right? The contracts that best suit the team, the teams, the organizations, who can best utilize and best understand and best execute in that manner, it's not a coincidence that they're the teams who always win. It's not a coincidence that the Patriots have been able to flip Tom Brady in his talents and the fact that he can take, he can afford to take and give the home team discount because his significant other will always make more money than he can ever imagine. He can afford to give on the contract where other players can't or won't even think about doing it. It's not a coincidence that that has been the driving force of their dynasty. Likewise, it's not a coincidence that when Golden State had Steph Curry making, what, $13 million a year or something along those lines, although he was playing as the best, the second best player in the league, that they were able to flip and build on that dynasty. It's not a coincidence when you can get all time level talent being paid significantly below the going rate. Oh, you literally would have to go out of your way not to be a competitor, a championship contender. It's not a coincidence, guys. So the next time your favorite quarterback, like, it's not a coincidence that the Jaguars are where they are. They had one great year, and then it fell apart. You keep trying to catch lightning in the bottle. More times than not, you're going to get struck. All right, guys, you heard the horn. That means it is halftime, but we've gone a little bit long this show thus far, so we're not going to have halftime this week. But what we will have, we do have a question for stoppage time this week. Stoppage time, again, is the segment where – I answer some of your guys' questions or tweets that you guys may have regarding anything. Music, television, movies, sports, you name it. And this week I have a question from Lisa who is from Gaithersburg. So shout out to Lisa. Um, And she's asking me what are my feelings about Washington signing Ruben Foster. All right. So Ruben Foster, for those of you who don't know, is an outside inside linebacker uh, drafted from Alabama. He was drafted by San Francisco when he had a second incident. He was arrested this past weekend for um, domestic violence. It's the second time um, he has been arrested for that with the same woman, mind you. The 49ers released him in Washington. They uh, claimed him off of waivers. And, you know, living in this area as long as I have, you know, they're in covering some of these teams in my, my older job my last job, Um, I'm not, uh, it doesn't bother me to say that, you know, I have a fine spot for the Wizards. Despite how the Wizards are run, I like it when the Wizards play well. I enjoy the Wizards. I want the Wizards to succeed. It's kind of one of the reasons why I'm so harsh when it comes to them. You know, although I'm a Knicks fan, don't get it twisted. I'm not a Wizards fan. I love the Knicks. There's only one team that I love. But because there's a, a, an attachment that I have to the team, I want the Wizards to succeed. 
And that's one of the reasons why I'm so critical, why I'm so harsh, because I feel like the answer is in front of everyone's eyes what they need to do. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show with um, Kevin Broom, my guest this week. But with the football team, with the Burgundy and Gold, I don't like them. I've never liked that organization. That's a trash organization. And I know a lot of you listening to my pod are huge fans of them. And y'all going to be mad, cursing me, calling me every name out the book, whatever. I'll, I'll wear that. That team is a trash organization. And this was a trash decision. Absolutely. You know, we live in, this is such, it really is, Lisa, honestly, it's, um, it's discouraging in a lot of levels. In a lot of ways. And I'll leave it to you to decide what you guys want to do if you're a fan and how you should feel. I'm not going to tell anybody how they should feel. But I'm I'm not going to bite my tongue in terms of how I feel. Washington will get in front and tell you all the things that they do well. All the things they're doing for the community. All the things they do for women. And this is that's the one thing. It's not just a woman. It, sh- it should never be a woman's issue, domestic violence. We should all care about it. And we shouldn't just give lip service to it. We should legit care about this thing. And I hear people, friends of mine, people that I'm, I shouldn't say friends, but people that I'm cool with, people who I, I, I have a relationship with, people who are on the radio or on television, who have a platform, people that I know, and they say, you know what? I believe in second chances, and we got to wait and all this other stuff. Nah, man, no. I, I believe in second chances, too. Ruben Foster has had a second chance. Been arrested three times this year. And look, man, I'm not I'm not here to say, you know, whatever. Nah, I'm not I'm not on that to say. I'm not on that to say you can if you get arrested for anything, you didn't have the scarlet letter. No, 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 no. What I am saying is what Ruben Foster has been accused of. And when you look at the statistics and you look at how domestic violence situations play out, that first arrest more than likely was not a woman making up a story, you know? And that's how people tried to flip it. Like, oh, she changed the story. She was lying on Ruben Foster. No, no. When you look, and so when I see Washington's press release, number one, how weak is that? How weak is that? How weak is it that you make that signing that quickly? That's another thing about when people talk about second chances. He was arrested this weekend. He was arrested this weekend. So what are you talking about second chances? You didn't give him an opportunity. Like, what is he answering for? He was arrested at the team hotel for the second time for for domestic violence on the same woman. And you sign him? Let's be honest here. And you have these people on, on, on the radio this week in this area. Excuse me, those of you who don't live in this D.C. area, because you, you won't be able to understand this. But it was, it was beyond bothersome hearing all these people say, hey, you know what? They claim him off a waiver. So if, if he didn't do these things, then you know what? You get him at a discount. And if he did do them, he never has to play for you. Well, if that's even the way you think in the slightest, you've already kind of done the mental gymnastics to suggest you know signing him was wrong. Like, if at all, if at any point you say, you know what, well, if it did happen, he doesn't have to play for us. If that's a, a legit talking point in your mind, if you've done that 
said that, thought that at all, then you already know it's a trash move. You feel me? You don't make a decision. <laughs> you don't go to the lot and buy a car and say, hey, man, you know what? If this does break down on me, you know, I got triple A. No one makes a decision like that. You know, you don't get in a relationship with someone's like, you know what? If she does cheat on me, <laughs> you know, I can always go, you know, to this. I can always ask my friend to hook me up with such and such. No, you understand what I'm saying? Like if that's part of the thought process, you already know you're making a dumb decision. And so many people were saying this and I'm just thinking to myself, yo. Everybody says, hey, domestic violence is wrong. Most, I, I, unfortunately, I don't think most people feel that way because if you did, we wouldn't be doing this. We wouldn't be doing this. And then back to Washington, because I'm not, I'm not done with them. They give out a weak press release, a weak press release. And they saying all these things that, Hey man, you know, we're going to do our own investigation and later comes out. Only one team actually talked to the police in San Francisco about the arrest. That one team was not Washington. So you you can make your own deduction there, right? One team, the, the Washington was the only team who made a claim on them. One other team went to the police and said, hey, man, what's going on here? So at least there was one team who, other another team who was interested in Reuben Foster. They did their due diligence, went to the police, and whatever they, whatever they found from the police, they was like, nah, never mind, we good. Washington didn't do any of that. What does that tell you? Number one. Number two, in this lame re release, there's like, hey, you know what? He's played with a bunch of former Alabama players, and they know him, and they think he's this, that, and the third. People start asking some of the players who played with him in Alabama. They're like, no, nah, they never reached out to me. At least two players have said that the Washington organization didn't reach out to them and ask them about Ruben Foster. So what does that tell you? It's a trash organization. They're lying in your face. They're lying to all of us. And then they don't even have the gumption. They don't even have the confidence in their actions to speak on it. They bring Jay Gruden up to the podium and talks about it. Jay Gruden didn't make that decision. He may have chimed in and he may have wanted him. But ultimately, that wasn't a Jay Gruden decision. They put Doug Williams' name on that press release. Have Doug Williams stand up and talk. Les Carpenter suggests that it was Bruce Allen who ultimately okayed that decision. Have Bruce Allen stand up there and talk. You know, we give Jerry Jones a lot of flack, man, and he deserves most of it. But I will say this. He always stands up there and speaks his mind and lets you, he gives you access to ask the questions. You don't have to answer the questions, but he's up there. He stands up there he, he he responds and he takes the questions at every turn. Where's Dan Snyder? Where's Bruce Allen? Where are these people? It's just a man. It's a trash organization, man. I'm telling you, there's a reason why this team. I truly, I truly believe there's a reason why this team is stuck where they are. Because the people running the shop, they're not worth the thing. They're not worth a damn. Same thing with my Knicks. The people running the show aren't worth a damn. 
And we've got countless, we've got countless examples underlying, highlighting this very fact. And this is just the most recent one. And I mean, this whole thing took off and it, it, it really bothers me because you know what, everybody, I don't, I don't know, man. You know, people outside of this area, when they think about the Washington Post, they hide and they hold it in such high regard. And I'm not even going to delve politically into this, but if you ask them about the sports section, they do the same thing. Oh man, the Post and Wilbon and Kornheiser, you got all these names from the past who've done such great things. Tom Boswell, all these people that if they're not from this area, you would think that man, this is. This is like the, the one of the holy grails of sports coverage. And I always am kind of taken aback when I hear people talk about what it must be like to have, you know, the post right on your doorstep if you want it. And yet the Wizards always have this kind of secrecy as it pertains to front office decisions, mainly whether or not. Ernie Grunfeld is being brought back. What is his salary? What is his contract even like? Why is it that Ernie Grunfeld doesn't speak to the media with all the decisions and all the drama that circles that team? But in what with the with the Burgundy go, it's the same thing. They could put out a press release and that's it. That's it. No questions. You send the head coach out there, but he doesn't know much about the entire ordeal. And that's it. We're supposed to just move on. All right, guys, here it is. Monday Night Football. And the members on the and the people on the radio, they they oblige. They talk about it for a day and they kind of try to poo-poo it and they try to, you know, throw the throw the, the the cold towel on the fire. But man, it's it's just trash all around. It's a trash organization. It's a trash team, man. And Lisa, you know, I, I know I kind of went on the rant here, man, but it's just an awful situation. Because this team, that league. And the people who 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 are shields for that organization will, on every other day will tell you how much, you know, how much how important domestic violence is to them. And when the Cowboys get in trouble for, you know, signing Greg Hardy, this this team and these people on the radio and these this fan base that will say that's that's awful for the Cowboys to do that. And it was awful for the Cowboys to do that. But that's exactly what Washington has done in this situation. I mean, it's just. I keep saying trash, but that's the only way you can really, at least for me, um, that's the only way you you can spin it, man. It's just a, a trash decision by a trash organization. Um, so yeah, Lisa, <laughs> that those that's my thought on that. Like I said, guys, anytime you want to hear my take on anything, and I've got a few more, but this show is kind of running long, so we're going to address these other questions and. Uh, topics next week on stoppage time. But again, keep them coming, man. I love doing this. I love hearing your guys' thoughts. I love hearing what you guys think or, or questions that you want to have me answer, whether it's sports related or anything else, man. Hit me up on Twitter at quarterly show, Q U A R T E R L E E show, or email me at quarterly report at gmail.com. Quarterly spelled again, Q U A R T E R L E E report at gmail.com and make sure you head on over to itunes apple Podcasts, google play stitcher spotify wherever else you listen to podcasts and subscribe and download the show 
Thanks to everybody who's listened to the show from day one. Thanks to all the new listeners over the past few weeks. I really appreciate it. Let everybody know your thoughts. Leave a review and rate the show. Tell me, tell your friends, tell the world why the quarterly report is the dopest sports podcast out there. And if you don't believe it, you'd be wrong. But let me know why you don't like it either. All right, guys, that's stoppage time. And that's the first half. But we're going to keep the show moving with our second half of the show, including our guest this week, Kevin Broom from BulletsForever.com. Third quarter. You can catch my next guest writing on Bullets Forever in his own website, KevinBroom.com. And you can hear him and Ben Becker on the Soul Wizards podcast, which has been rebranded from the Becker and Broom podcast. So if you're anything like me, you're glad that that is back up and running. Ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Broom. Kevin, thanks again for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Hey, thanks for having me again. So, you know, I wish we were talking under better circumstances as it pertains to the Wizards, but this season so far has been, I don't know as I know the words to best describe it. I'll leave that up to you guys over at Bullets Forever. But, man, it's been so much that has happened both on and off the floor uh, surrounding this team. If you go online, everyone who follows or loves this team, they have countless number of trade scenarios and trades on the trade machine and things of that nature. But no matter where you feel about the team, uh, what you think their ceiling is, it all comes down to the same questions now that we are 20 some odd games into the season. And that is, should they keep the, the, the band together or should they blow it up? Um, so that's my question to you. First off, what do you think the Wizards should do when it comes to their core and keeping it together or making some moves? Well, I mean, where I am personally is I would probably just blow it up at this point. Um, for one, I mean, and the, my, my reasoning being, I think that this team can fully like recover and still win, you know, 42, 43, maybe 44 games, make right. the playoffs, you know, possibly even upset somebody in the first round that's potentially, you know, doable depending on who the matchup is, that sort of thing. But that even I think their max like capability rate with what the group that they have is probably like, you know, forty six, forty seven wins maybe. I mean if everything went exactly right, I could see them getting to maybe fifty. But they're not like a finals contending team. They're not a team that's gonna challenge for a championship or, you know, be a serious threat. They're have the potential to be a decent playoff team, and that's about it. So I would lean towards blowing it up. But that said, that doesn't mean necessarily just dump guys because right. you know dumping guys ends up just burning through your, your you know the assets that you have. And so you know th- there are some things that I would do, but yeah, I, I would lean towards breaking up the group. And then part of the reasoning there too is. These guys don't like each other very much. They don't right. enjoy team together, and it's affecting things like effort. You know that they're they're not playing for any kind of purpose that's beyond just uh, you know they're you know beyond I guess their personal stats or whatever. It doesn't seem like they're playing for each other very much. Hey, you know, as a Nick fan, I get why people are scared of the word blow up and rebuild. You know. I've lived through my fair share. We just haven't really committed to doing it, which is why we have failed for so long. But when you look at the NBA specifically recently, um, rebuilds, although it still has this kind of negative connotation, like 
you can do it and do it relatively quickly. Um, when you look at the Clippers, when you look at the Kings, these are two teams who within the last two years have changed uh, or moved on from one or two quote unquote superstars. Now, yes, I understand that Jerry West is kind of running the show in Los Angeles. Ernie Grunfeld will never be compared or mistaken for Jerry West. However, Vlade Divac, you know, he's not a Masai Ujiri type or Daryl Morey type, and he has been able to restart and reimagine, you know, that Kings organization with some really nice foundational pieces. Um, so, you know, the Wizards, they, they've got good players. It's just not working here. And while I, to some extent, understand why people um, – are kind of scared off by the idea of blowing it up. We live in a, in a day and age in the NBA where you can really re-pivot and take things to another level fairly quickly, right? Well, see, okay, so Sacramento is interesting because one of the factors, and this is probably going to have a bunch of your listeners like throwing their hands up saying, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> it's a, before you go on, it's funny you say that because – I've already on the first quarter of this show went on a rant about how DeMarcus Cousins is overrated. So if that's where you're going, don't worry. That that foundation has yeah, been that's, laid. That's exactly where I'm going. It's like <laughs> one of the things that makes it a little easier to sort of look respectable in rebuilding is that DeMarcus Cousins was not – he is an all-world talent in right. terms of like his ability to play, but the way he actually plays is not. Yeah. He, he, was, he was very good. And he did a lot of things, but you know his, that inefficiency was just the turnovers. of turnovers and missed shots. I mean, he had a lower percentage at rim than Martin Gortat, which <laughs> is is not really an insult considering that until last season, Martin Gortat was one of the you know better finishers around the rim in the league. But still, right. my point is that if you were to like go up to the average NBA fan and say who's the better finisher around the basket. DeMarcus right. Cousins or Martin Gortat over the last five years, I think everybody would say Cousins, and they'd be right. wrong. Right. They'd right. be wrong. So, um, so that said, you know, uh, it, it'll be very interesting. The Wizards do have some assets. Uh, one of the challenges they're going to have is that probably the guy who would attract the most interest based on his reputation around the league is John Wall, and they've given him this massive extension, which – really undercuts what they can get for him in trade. Right. I think that most of the more savvy teams would be a bit reticent to take on, you know, $42 million a year average over the next four years. So that, that's going to be a challenge. I'm joined by Kevin Broom. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Broom underscore Kevin. He is the co-host of the Soul Wizards podcast and a contributor to bulletsforever.com. Make sure you also check out his website, at kevinbroom.com and you know it's weird they've got talent on washington but i don't really know what the plan is you know what i mean because in my opinion thus far this season it looks many times that they are i don't they're not doing it purposely but they've devalued Otto porter to a level that i don't know what your return can be for him scott brooks was completely out of character at least in my opinion when he called out Otto in the second game of the season. I just don't know what they're doing. I, see, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with Brooks saying, you know, the Porter needs to run hard and, and play hard and all that kind of stuff. I, I really don't have to. But my bigger objection with what they did with Porter was saying Otto needs to shoot more 
and then doing nothing schematically to get him more shots. So that, the, you know, the first several games of the season, he was basically going to the corner and standing there. And then it's like, well, he's not shooting. And they criticize him. And then they later go out and criticize him for, you know, being one of the guys who's worried about his shots. And yes. the reason he was worried about his shots is because the coaches literally told him to be concerned with how many shots he was taking. So it's, it was a really strange situation, and it seems like one that was designed to undermine his confidence and to be kind of crazy-making. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, but, you know, to go back to the original question that you were talk, we were talking about, that the, the Clippers and the, you know, rebuilding – in the, yeah. the Kings is, in a sense, they're, they're in a very similar position to perhaps where the Wizards are now, and that is one of the other guys that they traded away, the Clippers did, was uh, Blake Griffin, right. and they traded him for Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris is basically just as productive as Griffin is, although he does it differently. Yeah, and exactly. uh, when, when you can, when you have, like, an overrated star player and you can trade him for a very good player, you know, somebody who's just as productive but doesn't have the same reputation, you know, then you suddenly have room to do other things with your roster that can that can really help you. Once again, guys, I'm joined by Kevin Broom. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Broom underscore Kevin. He is a contributor to Bullets Forever. Also, he is the co-host of the Soul Wizards podcast and the creator of the PPA statistic. Make sure you check out that and so much more on his website, KevinBroom.com. And you had an awesome segue talking about Blake and Tobias. Um, I've had to eat crow now for like two plus years when it comes to Bradley Bill. Um, I'll go to the, my grave thinking and still believing that Bill's first four seasons, he was not that good of an NBA player. He was, he was much overrated here. People thought he was much better here than he actually was. Now, his year five season was amazing. And that speaks a lot to him. He he played lights out year five. I know he didn't make the all-star team that season, and he made the all-star team last year, but his year five season, in my opinion, was far greater than anything he's done thus far, including this season or the quarter of the way through. But it's looking like that year five season was an outlier. And while these last two years aren't as bad as his first four, they're starting to inch closer and closer to those norms. When you talk about Tobias Harris to Blake Griffin, instantly I start thinking Bradley Bill to Josh Richardson. And so many people are acting like Bradley Bill is this untouchable player. I look at it as he would be the first person I'd move because I could get so much more based on his perception around the league and his actual productivity. Am I off with my assessment or am I, or do you agree that, you know, Brad is a bit overrated. No, I mean, I agree with you completely. And and I think it would be smart for the Wizards. I mean, the Wizards, of course, think that they want to, like, you know, continue to keep him and build around him, which, you know, fine. You've got him under contract. You might right. as well. But if you could trade him out for something, someone who is better, and, you know, perhaps makes less money, that would be that would be just fine. And that's not quite as challenging as you think. You know, as right. you, you know, I've got this metric, the player production average, where average is 100. For his first four seasons, I've got Beal basically ranging from 92 in his rookie year to 98 in his fourth year. So basically right, right around league average, right? Then, right. like you said, fifth year, he jumped up to 152, which is very good. That's like all-star level right there. Right. Um, and then last season, 135. And so dipping back down, 
and then this season I've got him so far at uh, 118. So, right. you know, and, and what what we're seeing with Beal is that his shooting is not as good as it was in that fifth year, and he's doing more things overall in his game. He's rebounding a little bit more. He's getting more assists. But he's also, you know, shooting more and missing more, and he's committing more turnovers. Than turnovers, yeah. And that's, um, you know, that th- those things also count. And that's, I think, one of the things that a, a lot of fans and a lot of, um, you know, people around the league, observers and uh, coaches and, you know, people who work in the league and make player personnel evaluations is that they underrate the damage that missed shots and turnovers do and think more in terms of, you know, the positives that guys bring. You know, it's funny. I've never, I can't think of a more strange player than Bradley Beal, right? I get why people like him. I get why people think he is or will become this really great player. I I really do. I'm not saying that to be dismissive. I, I understand the thinking behind it. But when you look at the free throw, like he's a great shooter or supposedly great shooter, but is a seventy high seventy percent free throw shooter consistently throughout his career. You know, you said it. He's worked on his assist, but it's like his assist numbers are tied to a chain to turnovers. So as the assists go up, the turnovers increase almost like a direct correlation. I don't. I have tried. I have tried my best to talk myself into this bill kind of. Okay, yeah, he's he's a. He's this amazing player, and I just can't do it. And it leads me to thinking, man, back to the whole blowing it up top topic. If the Wizards did decide to trade Brad or blow it up and trade Brad, they would get back such this such a large haul because league-wide, it's as if Bradley Bill is, you know, among the, the best 20-some-odd players in this league. I think they could really, really do a great job in getting a return on that Bradley Beal investment. I, I think they could too. And the the thing, the challenge of course, though, is that all of those things that you just identified make him a fan favorite and make the team uh, reticent to trade him. Cause you know, I mean, the NBA, it's both of course a, you know, it's a c- competitive thing, but the, the, front offices also make determinations based on things like, you know, how many tickets are being sold, players' yeah. reputation in the, in the community, how they are liked, how, you know, what kind of fan base they have, all that kind of stuff. And um, so that lends, it to, lends toward the Wizards wanting to, you know, keep him around right. rather than trading him. When I agree with you, I think that this, the best move would probably be to, to swap him. I mean – it, when I look at the numbers, and I, you know, I have this statistical doppelganger thing, and I look at guys with, you know, similar sort of production at similar age. Right. And, you know, Ray Allen is still showing up in in those for Beal, um, just like they were his rookie year, just like it was when he came out of college. That was kind of the comp that everyone had. But Ray Allen really started to sort of to, to launch at this point in his career. You know, he by around this point in his career, he was peaking, yeah. and then he would maintain for, of course, like another what decade or so because right. he was such a fitness freak and he, he was so fastidious about how he approached the game and all that. 
and Beal is not really launching in the same way. His career trajectory is looking more like like Quentin Richardson or you know mm-hmm. good players, good players, right. but not the kind of guy who's going to go down as an all time shooter or franchise you know, player. Yeah, yeah. Not he. He doesn't look like he's going to become that kind of guy. He's not that guy right now. He's he's good. Yeah, but he's not at that level. In a sense, in a little bit, he he reminds me. He I think he's peak higher, but he reminds me a little bit in terms of like impact. Uh, of Mitch Richmond back in mm. like the 80s and 90s, where right. Mitch Richmond is a guy whose reputation significantly exceeded what he did on the court, in part probably because he spent some of those years playing in Sacramento where there was nothing. Right. Once again, guys, I'm joined by Kevin Broom. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Broom underscore Kevin. He is a contributor to Bullets Forever and the co host of the Soul Witchers podcast. Make sure you guys download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, and check out his website, kevinbroom.com, where he talks about PPA, which we just mentioned, his statistic, and so much more, man. Really dope um, insight to basketball and ways to evaluate players. I couldn't recommend it enough. So, you know, we just finished talking about Bradley Bill, one of the better young shooting guards in this league, and last season, it seemed like we were getting two more, and Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum, even though Tatum is hard to really know what position he plays but you know thus far both players second year players have kind of um struggled coming out of the gates you know i had huge expectations for tatum um i thought he was a special i shouldn't say i thought i feel he's a special player but he has uh struggled a bit coming out of the gates and donovan mitchell while i his game is fun to watch i wasn't necessarily as high on him as i was uh, Tatum, it doesn't help that both teams, the Celtics and the Jazz, are also disappointing to start this season. Um, so my question to you is, who has been the bigger, or whose season thus far has disappointed you the most, Donovan Mitchell or Jason Tatum? I, I, to be honest, neither, neither, because you know, guys, a lot of times they'll come and have a good rookie year. The second year is a bit of struggle, and then they get better from from there. Tatum has basically been about as good this season as he was last year. It's just the yeah. expectations were so much higher. Perhaps. And Mitchell has been down. I think he's been hurt a little bit, a little little dinged up too. But remember last season, just, again, going back to PPA where average is 100, I had him at a 107 last season. Yeah. And so it wasn't like he was all NBA and he's, he's suddenly cratered. And, um, you know, this year I think I've got him in the 90s. I have, I've got to oh, – let me pull that up real quick. Live uh, stat lookup, I'm sure you're <laughs> We appreciate that here, man. We appreciate are, are, are just thrilled by it. Yeah, I've got him at a 90 so far this season. You know, and so he's down. He's a little – he's a bit below average. He's been dinged. And, you know, my guess is that by the end of the season, he'll probably be, you know, at least where he was last season, if not better. Yeah. You know, that's something else to keep in mind, too, is that, you know, right now, like the league leaders in minutes are around 600, 700 minutes. Yeah. You know? You know, by the end of the season, the so league small. will be, you know, close to, yeah. close to 3,000 minutes. So right. there's, we're still in small sample size, Peter. I, I really think that a lot of the disappointment in, in Tatum and uh, Mitchell is just in the expectations that people had that they were going to make these big jumps. And right. in reality, they were good last season, and uh, they'll, they'll probably be very good in the future. They're just not there right now. Yeah, and as we said earlier, it also doesn't help that both teams are also struggling. So it almost just kind of amplifies 
those two guys personally. Um, once again, guys, I'm joined by Kevin Broom. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Broom underscore Kevin, contributor to Bullets Forever and the co-host of the Soul Wizards podcast. Make sure you guys download, subscribe, and rate and review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. And make sure you check out the website, KevinBroom.com. He dives in deeper to the PPA statistic. I couldn't recommend it more. Kevin, thank you so much for making your return appearance to the show this week. Really appreciate it. And, man, hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. All right, guys, we are three quarters down, meaning we have one quarter left, and it's a heavyweight showdown for our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. It is a fight night this weekend as the lineal heavyweight championship of the world will be up for grabs as Deontay Wilder defends his title versus Tyson Fury. And y'all know I'm a huge boxing fan, but I'm going to be honest with you all. I've got zero desire to see this fight. Zero desire at all. I I questioned when I first found out that this was a pay-per-view fight. I seriously questioned what the hell was going on. I was like, yo, who's behind this? Because this is clearly an awful decision. And as we have approached... December 1st, where this fight will be sold for $75 on pay-per-view, which is uh, $75. You start to see the reports that ticket sales aren't where they were, uh, where people thought they would be. You start to see all the kind of circus environment that happens trying to build up more interest and intrigue into this fight because there's zero buzz. And I'm not talking about nationally because, you know, I, I feel strongly about how boxing is covered from a national perspective. People have just missed out because the people, especially in this country, who are big-time boxing fans aren't people who usually have a voice. Um, but when you look at the ratings, when you look at the success, ticket sales, pay-per-view buys, the whole nine, the sport is in a much better place than a lot of people would have you believe. However, I'm not looking to these large outlets to kind of give me an idea or give me a temperature of the buzz surrounding this fight. I'm talking about people in the know, the fights, the fight people that I respect, right? The podcast about boxing that I listen to, the articles, the writers, the columnists that I hold in high regard, all of them without fail, like, yo, this fight just doesn't have it. And I'm surprised that so many people are shocked by that. When I found out that this fight was happening, I was like, okay, this is cool. You know, this is a fight that could be put on Showtime Saturday night. People will be happy to see it because Deontay Wilder rates well on television. His fights get to one million, one million views, right? But no one spends money to see Deontay Wilder. And there's a difference. When Deontay Wilder fights at the Barclays, that the Barclays isn't sold out. People will go and people will watch on television, but people don't want to spend money to see him fight. He's an exciting fighter. He's got the best punch in the sport. He has lightning bolts in his gloves. He's an electric fighter. But this is his first pay-per-view fight, and he's 33 years old, and he's fighting another guy who has a long history of question marks. Have you ever noticed Deontay Wilder, despite the fact that he's obviously in great condition, a very athletic man, he never fights athletic, well-conditioned fighters. All the guys he gets in the ring with are out of shape, don't necessarily have 
great muscular figure. All of them. Every single time he gets in the ring. And this is not to discredit Tyson Fury. We've all heard the Tyson Fury jokes before with his shape and all this other stuff. He's a skilled boxer. And I don't know who's going to win this fight. I was I would imagine Wilder gets him out of there in the seventh or eighth round because that power just is a lot. And Fury doesn't have anywhere close to that type of power. But Fury is going to box him. I don't know if Fury has the conditioning to to do what he did to Klitschko, what, three, four years ago? Four years ago, I guess. Wow, time flies. I don't know if Fury is that same boxer. He's had two tune-up fights before this, and that he didn't fight anybody. You can't really learn much from those two um, exhibitions, if you will. But I would suggest, I would, I would imagine that Wilder gets him out of there in the eighth round, eighth, ninth round, something somewhere along that lines. But I mean, that what does that do? What what does that mean? And I we talked about this not too long ago, about two shows ago with the zone and their emergence into not just the boxing world, but the world of, I don't know, streaming sports and Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury and those guys over there, they're living in an outdated ecosystem. You know, they are really big on pay-per-view pay-per-view has long been seen as kind of, You've made it. That's pay dirt. Once you get your pay-per-view fight, boom, you've made the big time. And that's just not where it is anymore. People aren't buying pay-per-views like they used to. And you got to get And if they do, you got to give them a reason to do it. And Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder is not a reason enough for me, a huge boxing fan. I'm not spending a dime. I'm not going to a bar. I'm not going to a uh, Dave and Buster's. I'm not spending anything to see this fight. I'm not getting in a car and driving down the street to see my homeboy if they have the fight because that would require me to spend money and gas money. Like, understand, I have no desire to see this fight. And I may not even watch the replay the following weekend, depending on how it goes. Now, I'm going to be on Twitter and see, you know, how the people scoring the fight view it. And if it's a good fight, if it's an entertaining fight, if it's a fight with any type of storylines. But... I've got no desire to see these two guys get into it. None at all. And while I understand Wilder anxiously getting his first pay-per-view fight and taking the bait, man, I, I question the foresight because it feels myopic. It really does. Because Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder is the fight that people want to see. Anthony Joshua is the second biggest name in the sport. And while he may not be a big name in America, he is an English-speaking man, got the looks, charisma, and you can sell Wilder and Joshua because there is legit animosity, which is completely different than Wilder and, and Wilder, or Wilder and Fury, excuse me, because those guys actually are friends. And you can tell when they do the whole face-to-face stare-off or somebody flips chairs and everything like that and screaming, it's a joke. You can tell. They can't even hide it. There is real animosity between Wilder and AJ. And that can be sold. They also are huge physical specimens. And, you know, I talked about how Wilder, who looks like he could be a, a defensive end, he always gets in shape and gets in fights with these guys who look like they're like bar fighters. The beer bellies, 
no muscle definition at all. AJ isn't that. AJ looks like he's a bigger defensive, like a defensive tackle. So, you know, that was right there for the taking. And, you know, I've heard it all. I'm not going to do the he said, she said thing about who do you believe between Fury and Wilder and AJ and Eddie Hearn and the whole soap opera. I don't care. But I will say this, and I've talked about this in the past, man. Eddie Hearn, I know people don't like him, but don't don't shortchange that man's mind, man, because he's what he's doing with the zone is is nothing short of brilliant. He has seen the landscape. He's seen Netflix. He's seen the WWE Network. And it's, and he's also seen what's going on with pay-per-view. And he's like, okay, that's not working anymore. Pay-per-view has played a part in boxing's demise in the early 2000s. It absolutely played a part in that. So why not get on this streaming thing where you play this monthly fee and you can get all these fights, including the two biggest names in the sport, not just AJ, but number one being Canelo. And everybody knows at some point, AJ and Deontay, they're going to fight. They're going to get in the ring. But I just really wonder how much damage Deontay Wilder did to his own bargaining and his own leverage by taking this fight and making it a pay-per-view. Because when he said, hey, man, I bring a million viewers to every one of my fights, every one of my fights on Showtime, you know, he's right. Like the last three or four Deontay Wilder fights have topped that a million. Like the ratings have topped that a very nice, very high number, million views of his fights on Showtime. And that's to be commended. Outside of Canelo, he's the biggest draw in America in terms of television ratings. Consistently. Not including Mayweather, obviously. But now he's... He's taking it up a notch. He's saying, look, I can headline a pay-per-view fight. And man, if I had to guess right now, this fight probably sells, I would say 150,000 would be kind. I'm, I'm so intrigued. I'm more intrigued about what this fight brings than I am who wins. That's how crazy, that's how crazy that is. This is, I don't know if that's, that speaks to me. And my level of interest in the sport, or if it speaks to the fight and just how lack of a buzz it is generating. But I am far more interested in seeing how many buys this fight this fight brings and delivers. Because if this fight underperforms at all, I mean, people were talking about half a million pay-per-view buys. Half a million. Man, if they gets anywhere close to that, I'll be stunned. And if it does, tip of the cap to Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. But I will say this. If it underperforms even in the slightest, Wilder has hurt himself from a leverage standpoint because AJ is huge overseas. Like there is no there is no question who was a the A side in the fight between AJ and Wilder. And if you listen to her, instead of just dismissing him while they were trying to go back and forth with the contract between the two, Eddie Hearn correctly would say, I have no idea how much this fight would do for the American viewing public. I have no idea what we could honestly make in a fight between these two guys. And that's why the, the offer he was giving Wilder was in many people's ex or many people's minds, disrespectful or extremely conservative 
but it's because you don't know how much that fight can draw. And Eddie Hearn correctly said, you know what? We're just a few years removed from Andre Ward, Sergey Kovalev. And this was two of the best five, maybe two of the best three fighters in the world. And they went on pay-per-view and they sold 175,000. That's it. And Hearn was like, how is it? How can I possibly know how much we can make with these two guys? AJ is not an American fighter. He's never been on pay-per-view there. He's never fought in the States. And Wilder's not a pay-per-view fighter. He can't even sell out the arenas he fights in. Anthony Joshua sells out Wembley Stadium. So at least they have an idea. You know, we'll make a lot of money overseas. We don't know how much we're going to do in America, but we know overseas we've got a good, we've got a product here. We have no idea what Wilder is. But we're going to find out this weekend, aren't we? Because, man, if, if he and Tyson Fury, number one, if they don't sell a lot of fights just off the rip, that's going to be damning. But if he wins and it's underwhelming, if he doesn't knock them out, if they go to points on that, oh, man, you can kiss Christmas goodbye. The whole thing. There's so much pressure on Deontay Wilder, not just to perform, but to perform in a spectacular way. And to produce, to produce in terms of pay-per-view buys. And if he slips up just the slightest bit in any one of those ways, the potential real pay dirt, the real showdown that the whole boxing world, the whole boxing community wants, thirsts for, his real payday goes up in smoke. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this show. I greatly enjoyed it producing it and bringing it to you once again i want to give huge thanks to kevin broom from the soul wizards podcast and bullets forever make sure you guys follow him on twitter at broom underscore kevin again one of the smarter minds that i know who talks basketball and if you're a wizards fan if you're not already following him you need to do yourself a huge favor and do so now also i want to thank each and every one of you all from listening to the show man again 84 episodes in, I never would have thought it was going to happen. And we're 16 away from 100. So huge milestone, man. I hope you guys have enjoyed every second of the show. Half as much as I've enjoyed giving it to you. And remember, make sure you guys head on over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podknife, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And download, subscribe to the quarterly report. And make sure you leave a review, five-star ratings if you would like. But more importantly, write down why you like the show, why you don't like it. Let me, let your friends, let the world know your thoughts on the show, man. That's the most important thing in terms of the uh, curators, if you will. They really, really love the actual written response. So let me know what you guys like about the show. I really appreciate all the feedback, all of it that you guys want to give. Once again, thank you so much. Enjoy the weekend, guys, and I'll see you right back here next Thursday on the Quarterly Report.